Ephesians 4, and it's verses 1 to 16. Unity and maturity in the body of Christ. As the prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to many people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measures of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in the deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Dave. So, St. Paul says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And I think our conversations earlier probably demonstrated just how hard that can be and how often we fail to do that. St. Paul says, be imitators of God. Love as Christ loved. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Put away all anger and bitterness, all slander and malice. So I think we probably need to all confess our sins to God who forgives us in Christ. So let's say... uh, a confession together. When I say, Lord, have mercy, I invite you, if you wish, to repeat, Lord, have mercy. When I say, Christ, have mercy, please repeat, Christ, have mercy. You raise the dead to life in the Spirit. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. You bring pardon and peace to the broken in heart. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. You make one by your spirit the torn and divided. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. May the God of love and power forgive you and free you from your sins, heal and strengthen you by his spirit, and raise you to new life in Christ our Lord. Amen. Well.
Good morning. Mic's on. Yeah, working. Good, good, good. Mic works. And uh, can I just say, we've got a new Bible. It's the same Bible. It's the same Bible. <laughs> well, it's, it's the 2011 version on the end of it, and it sits just, it sits just so, you know. But I'll, I'll, yeah. let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word to us. It's a light for our path. It is food for our soul. May it be so for us this morning. Amen. Sort myself out a little bit more. Um, As Amy mentioned, uh, today is the day of our annual meeting, um, and we'll be having that afterwards, after we've had a bit of a cup of tea. Um, As we do each year, what we'll do is we'll gather around and we'll consider the events of the year that has been, we'll receive reports, we'll elect office holders and PCC members and so on. Yay! And I won't go into any of the detail of that here, sometimes I use the talk to basically present my Vickers report, Um, but I do want to make note that this year it is a little bit different because this year we are uh, taking a look at uh, focal ministry and we're having a conversation about restructuring our forms of leadership around the formation of a focal ministry team and all of that will be a priority for the new PCC to be considering. But what that means is that in the light of this we're having a time when we are thinking about leadership, giftedness and discernment and things like that and we've been looking at that over the last few weeks and today we have come to Ephesians chapter 4. Now, for those of us who are sort of in the know of Christian leadership marketing material, uh, Ephesians 4 is a go-to passage uh, when it comes to considering Christian leadership. In this passage, we have Paul's famous five-fold consideration of types of leadership. He speaks of apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, and much has been written about this particularly if your name is Alan Hirsch. (coughs) And there's even a life shape that goes with it. Remember life shapes? This one's the Pentagon. No one's twitching? You're twitching, okay. (coughs) We'll move on gently. Um, And the thing is, if you are thinking about different approaches to leadership styles and even to uh, different ways in which to consider personalities and gifting then there is actually some useful material around the fivefold sense of what's being talked about here. Um, the other week we looked at how Paul saw his apostolic gifting and how there's this parental laying down of life ambassadorial aspect to it. And we can appreciate the prophetic people in our midst, those who have the gift and the capacity and the inclination, oh, so often the inclination to uh, call us back to worship in spirit and in truth. And we can appreciate the pastors in our midst who move us especially towards the least, the last and the lost and help us to remember those that we've forgotten to notice. And we can appreciate the evangelists who have the zeal and the passion to see the gospel at work beyond ourselves so we don't get stuck looking at our own navels. And we can appreciate the teachers who draw us into the truth of God's kingdom and help us 
to grasp it for ourselves. It's an excellent look at how the different ways in which God works and that body image of God working through different people is there. If nothing else, this picture shows us that the best form of leadership within God's providence is one that is fundamentally collegial. It is shared with different people bringing different gifts. And we saw a bit of that the other week with 1 Corinthians 12 and that image of the body of Christ. Diversity of gifts in a unity of focus on Jesus Christ. So as I look ahead to what focal ministry might look like, there are many details that are yet to emerge. We've got to have a long conversation. But there are some things that I imagine and hope for. And this sort of five-fold diversity is actually one of them. Because a focal ministry team is not some sort of management committee, but it's a group of people with complementary gifts holding the spiritual burden of our community, each in slightly different ways. And with that diversity of perspectives and passions and purposes, and I imagine such a team being able to pray together, discern together, and contemplate together how the Lord is calling us. And that's a, an image that I can delight in and get, even get excited for. So we can see that, that five-fold picture here in this passage. And it's going to help our conversation as it proceeds. But the deeper thread that we can tug on today in, uh, in what Paul offers us here is actually less about the shape of leadership but the point of it. This passage gets to some sense of our sense of purpose. And in spiritual language, when we talk about purpose in the church, we use a different word. We use something like the word calling or vocation. And I like that language, calling. Anyone seen Frozen 2? How's it go? Someone sing it. as well as into the unknown. Right? This sort of, but you have that draw. There's, this, there's a call. There's a, there's a, there's a, it draws you onwards. There's, there's something there that means that you don't stand where you are and content in the, where you are. You, 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 you're drawn forwards. There's a call. Right? Make sense? Yeah, it gives us something that was some sense of pursuits for our lives. There's a calling. And in the world of the church, it isn't just about how we see ourselves and our own individual sense of being drawn forward through life. There's a sense in which we share that together. So that ministry isn't just a collection of tasks to achieve, but there's a deep sense of connection of this is who we are, and this is what we're about, and this is what God longs for us, almost like he sings a song that draws us forward. And so Paul can speak right at the beginning of our passage today to urge the church to collectively, in verse 1 of chapter 4, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And that kind of frames the question, doesn't it? The point of leadership, uh, the point of leadership, the point of a leadership team and structures and the rest of it isn't just about getting things done, although that is there. It's about and it's not just about keeping us all happy and meeting our needs. It's about helping us to be true to how the Lord is 
leading us, guiding us, calling us together. So as Paul unfolds this urging, be true to your calling, be worthy of the calling that God has given you, we get a sense of the character of it. What, what does it take to be true to that calling? It's marked by being humble and gentle, by being patient and bearing one another in love, in verse 2. It's marked by unity and being at peace with one another, in verse 3. We are not some fragmented collection of individuals buzzing around in different orbits in our life and sort of just happening to coincide on a Sunday. No, what we are is one body with one spirit, with one hope, motivating us and calling us forwards. What that means is that we're not just a bunch of people getting things done. We actually, in ourselves, reflect something of the truth of God. He is not fragmented or chaotic or purposeless. He is not fickle or acts on whims. No, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And in our calling, in our very being, in the unity of heart and mind and purpose, we reflect and show the world that that is what God is like. And that's something really quick to say and easy to read, but think about it and you realise how much that that is both awesome and an awful responsibility. Imagine if you could live your life in a way that it was externally obvious to other people that you are a Christian. Imagine you have a neon sign over your head pointing at you saying, Christian. What you do and say, the values you hold and the way in which you express them, if you then did that with that neon sign, would not just speak of you, it would speak of the name of the one that you carry. Does that make sense? Can I tell you... <coughs> Sometimes I wear a big neon sign. And it's weird. Can I tell you, it's weird. I was, when I was in my curacy church, um, I've got friends here from Australia, by the way, who knew me back then. Um, uh, I, was, I had bought a bottle of ginger beer uh, to have at lunch, and I was wearing a collar. And, um, and I walked down the, down the street drinking my bottle of ginger beer, except I was covering the label with my hand, and it looked like... What in Australia we call a stubby. And I was walking down, just drinking my beer, just casually having my lunch with my collar on, and I got looks. Anyway. The point is this. <laughs> what I was doing, they weren't just looking at, oh, here's this bloke drinking a beer. It's like, here's this minister of the gospel. Here's this Christian. And I wasn't reflecting in their eyes the ways of God. We are meant to reflect the ways of God. We are meant to show what he is like. This is why when we have leaders and others who fall, just like we are hearing stories at the moment, and revelations of toxicity in various churches, that's, that's not just, although it is about the pain of those who have experienced the pain directly. One of the 
amplifications of that pain is that it affects how we have perceived God. Whether we like it or not, when we see someone whose words we have listened to and whose ways we have seen fall short of those words, we go, oh, was the God he spoke of true? What do I actually believe? And there is a jarring in that reflection. It's a daunting thing, but it's not something new. Throughout the ages, from Adam and Eve, through Abraham to Moses to David to Jesus to us, the covenant call upon God's people has always been, represent me, show the world what I am like and what is true and what is good. Draw people to me by being the people of me. Be the people who point the way to the kingdom of God. Embody the gospel. Carry the name of Christ well. Don't diminish the integrity of my name by which I have called you. No wonder then Paul wants to lay this foundation of integrity saying, be true and worthy of the call that is on you. Hold the characteristics of the Father who is over all and in all and through all. And he says that right at the beginning. And only then does he go on to speak of the fivefold ministry, the shape of leadership, as it were, and give us its reason to exist. He says, Christ gave these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, not so you could write books about them, <laughs> but so that they, God through them, might equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up into its calling until we all reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That is the reason for the leadership offered. Now, in management circles... When we talk about leadership, we often talk about goals and key point indicators and other measures of success and many other things that have happened in that world since I last looked at that spreadsheet. Church culture often imports these ideas. And so when we think about successful leadership in church, we often think about those sorts of things. We think about things like growth. We talk about churches that were small and are now big or who are passive and are now more active. We talk about achievements and attainments and we attach that to good leadership. And that's, there's not, that's not an untruth. There's validity to that. But that's not how Paul talks about it. First and foremost, he talks about the goal of leadership as maturity. And when he talks about maturity, he talks about closeness to Christ deeper in knowledge of him, deeper in trust of him. Last year I did a lot of reflection on the person of St. Cuthbert and St. Aidan, the early Northumbrian saints, who uh, had a real vision for what the kingdom of God might look like in what was then a pagan, unformed land. And, uh, and, and they exercised leadership. And somehow their evangelistic strategy, their way of, of pursuing the mission of God included sitting on an island and praying because it wasn't just about the success. It was about the integrity of being close and drawn to the way of God. 
So when Paul thinks about the effectiveness of, that, of, of what maturity means, it's not in terms of souls won or goals achieved, but it's in terms of being a, a mature body who speaks the truth in love, who is able to discern the winds and waves of worldly scheming that would wash us backward and forwards by various fads and the latest shallow thinking of the moment. You see, it's infants who are gullible and who simply reflect and copy and mimic. That's what they do. Paul is intent to see the church become a mature body with a maturity that is defined by and centered on Christ and nothing else. It's this task of equipping the body for that maturity that is the key task of leadership and it's the key aspect of the sort of leadership that we're looking to exercise through focal ministry and that's why the process we are considering isn't just about electing another committee it's about praying and discerning and talking and discussing about who we might ask to equip us or lead us in that maturing through their diversity of leadership styles so that we might be more like Christ. It's why focal ministers aren't just elected by a PCC, although they, you know, PCC's involved. And it's not just appointed by the vicar like a minion, but it's actually there's a sense of discernment, including us, including the bishop and the wider church who share in that discernment. So that the focal ministers who might be equippers in our midst are themselves equipped and grown and trained. At the end of it, what it means is we hope to be drawn together towards one thing, one person, one Lord, with one trust, through one baptism to Jesus himself. And when we are more like him, by definition, we are more mature, more grown, and more reflective of who God is. True leadership, you see, begins not in skills or experience, it begins in worship, closeness to God. True mission rests not in activity, but in worship. True ministry rests not on closeness with each other, but on worship, devotion, love, care and honour of Jesus himself. Everything else falls out of that. Our focal ministers will therefore, first and foremost, be worshippers so that we might help each other live a life worthy of the calling we have received. And whatever new structures we put in place, that's where we will begin and that's where we will end, a community that worships, enamoured by Jesus, and everything else flows from that. And that is not absent in our midst right now. On this APCM day, we are going to receive reports of how the Lord is in our midst. But when we look ahead, I'm looking forward to seeing even more of it. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O oh Lord, we pray. Fill us even more with your spirit that would open our hearts and our minds to be able to see you, that we may draw close to you, that in your presence, simply by your grace, we may be worthy of the calling to which you have called us. 
Lord, make us your own more and more and release within our midst all of us to whom you have given the fivefold gifts and all gifts beside to equip your people to be more like you. Amen and amen.